We're doing a little, well, so we, you, APC, are doing a series in your evening services on Passion for God. So I have the great privilege of coming to do the first one. And uh, the reading set is Psalm 42. So let's have a look at that. Mm. Passion for God. What is it? What isn't it? Well, uh, for those listening and not able to see my power, I do apologise. I always apologise for my PowerPoints because I know they're lame. I'm not very techie, so I do apologise, but, you know, it is what it is. So you've got a picture of some Pharisees. I think they're the Pharisees from Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. It's not a very attractive picture, is it, of, of religion? Uh, but to the right of that, you've got uh, hippie love slave, and you've got another group of people that look very, very different. Uh, and obviously, you know, for those that were around, I wasn't. Uh, but the, the kind of hippie love of the 60s, which is almost a rebellion and moving away from, well, not from Pharisees, from Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, but from a, a, a vision of life, a way of life that seems strict, that seems oppressive, that seems constrictive. And so you have two pictures there. Uh, you have religion, devotion, but something that's very heavy and kind of missing, certainly missing the spirit of God. But then you also have this kind of hippie, you know, like, oh, free love, you know, we're all in it together, that likewise misses the mark. We'll have a, we'll have a think about why that might be. What is passion for God then? Well, I've got another slide here with a picture of Mother Teresa on the left and a picture on the right of uh, effectively a sign from, I don't know, for, for want of a better phrase, a trendy church. You've got there our church menu, great music, nice sermons, good location, kids program, and a picture of a nice looking Americano or something underneath it. Well, I've written there, yes, no, sort of. Because Mother Teresa, an incredible, incredible woman who just very selflessly and tirelessly gave herself in the service of the poor in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. But again, you know, she's wearing garb that's not dissimilar, I suppose, from the Pharisees in the last picture. But there on the right, you've got something that perhaps is more, I don't know, socially relevant, more appealing, more, more me, I suppose. The, the one on the right looks more like me than the one on the left. However, I'd say there's something in both and something is lacking in both. You have the life there of Mother Teresa, which is incredible. But I'd like to say that passion for God in your life doesn't have to look like in, a nun in Calcutta. But ditto, just because the one on the right looks perhaps a bit more like it might look like for us here in Aldridge, where we've got a nice coffee and our trendy programs and it's all whatever. If that is lacking in the kind of sacrifice and service that we see in the life of Mother Teresa, then perhaps that's missing something also. So what does passion for God look like for you, for me, for us in Aldridge at this time? We thought about what it doesn't look like, thought about things that it could look like, but what does it look like? Well, passion for God ultimately looks like Jesus. It's something that's from Jesus, through Jesus, and about Jesus. It's for Jesus. Jesus is uh, the source of passion, the way of passion, and the end of passion. He's the one that you get it from. He's the one that it's for. He's the one that it's about. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, God has set eternity in the human heart. So basically, if you're human and you're living in the world, there is something in you that calls out for something else. You were made for Eden. You were made for a heavenly experience. You were made for a life of heavenly ecstasy and bliss. But it's a heavenly ecstasy and bliss that doesn't look very much like the hippie love of the 60s. 
It looks a bit more like Mother Teresa, but actually it's a love that is passionate. It's liberated from the trappings of austere religious you know, ritualism, which misses the point, but it's full of the sacrifice of Jesus. It looks like Jesus, but you were made for that life. You were made for Eden. So whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, something in you calls out for eternity because you know that you were made for more than this physical body that's in decay. Even if you're young and attractive and good looking and trendy, you're still in a body which is, you know, growing uh, older, that is kind of mortal, that is limited. And actually something in you recognizes that, that you are frustrated by your physical body. There was, you know, a, a movement, a philosophical, philosophical movement called Gnosticism, which was not of God, but talked about, you know, escaping the body, not seeing that actually God had redeemed the body and that, that Jesus was a man, that he was both God and a person, and that he cried and that he ate and that he did all human things and showed us what human life really looks like. But the fact remains that you are housed in, in a temporary shell, that you have a spirit in you that longs for and cries out for an Eden experience for which you were made. You know, you were made for Eden, but because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve, we were banished from Eden so that we would no longer have access to the tree of life so that we could live forever. And the reason for that was because God didn't want the sin to live forever. Once sin had entered into the human experience, and with that selfishness, fear, you know, worldly ambition, bullying, you know, stabbing your friend in the back, you know, you know, all of the stuff that ruins and spoils life. God knew that Adam and Eve needed to leave Eden so that those things can go on forever. And so we have then the sort of the start, as we read in the Bible, of redemptive history and all that it took God to redeem us from the grip and the power and the influence of sin so that we could be restored to Eden, a new heaven and a new earth. So there's something in you that wants more than this. And when I was growing up, before I became a Christian, I suppose in different ways I tapped into that, I want more than this. There's something in me that that has passion. You know, I'm made in the image of God. I have desire in me, but I have desire that doesn't know where to go and it's running rampant. And so for a lot of people, you know, I suppose of my generation, of my age, you know, the best that the media could come up with, the best that literature could come up with, was that romantic love would fulfill everything. And so passion in me was for romantic love. But even that is limited, isn't it? Because we all know whether we're a boy or whether we're a girl, we all know that we mess up and that we're not the point. If all of us knows deep within ourselves that we're not the point, that we're all reaching out for something else, then together we can collectively say, well, no, I'm not the point. Are you the point? No, I'm not the point. And so what do we do with that? We know that, that there is something that we want to give ourselves for, something that we were made for that is bigger than us. But unless we have the language of the Bible, unless we have the revelation of Jesus, we simply don't know what to do with that thing in us that wants to serve something, give ourselves for something, worship something. The message is that Jesus is that one. Jesus is that one that life is all about. There's an amazing passage in the Bible that talks about a woman who breaks this alabaster jar of perfume at the feet of Jesus. And basically this woman, in a sense, is in our boat. She's there. She's got something in her that says, you know, I was made for more than this. You know, whether she would have articulated it like herself. You know, she was made for Eden. Eternity is in her heart. She doesn't know what to do with it. And like us, she's made a lot of mistakes. And then suddenly into view comes Jesus. And she's hit by this tsunami of mercy as Jesus kind of just looks at her with eyes of perfect love 
and she knows that she is forgiven and she suddenly just sees what it's all about. She has a vision for Jesus and she suddenly gets passion. She gets where it comes from. She gets the point of it and she cannot help herself but just fall flat at his feet, wipe his feet with her hair, with tears of love and joy and ecstasy that she has found the one that life is all about. And she's, you know, just not, she's just consumed with the fact that not only are you the point, but you're so kind and you love me and you know I'm, I'm up here and you know I've made mistakes and you're looking at me with acceptance and you're looking at me with forgiveness and it's just too good to be true, but it is true. And that's the predicament we find ourselves in. If you've given your life to Jesus, then you have seen, you have seen the one that passion is all about and you have known forgiveness and your world probably has been rocked by this revelation that he is the point, that he is the source and the end of passion and that he has forgiven you and he has set you free. But that just sets you up on a journey that we are all on together. Passion, though, is more than just nice feelings. And I haven't watched EastEnders for about 20 years. I'm I'm 35, so uh, I watched it for a little bit when I was 15. I gave up on it after that. But I was reminded when I was thinking about this sermon that, is it Anita Dobson? Was it Anita Dobson? Wrote this really, really bad song that went with the tune of EastEnders. And it began by saying, I'm not going to sing it. I nearly did. I nearly sang it. But then my wife would have had a go at me afterwards. But the words are, anyone can fall in love. That's the easy part. So again, passion for God doesn't just look like emotive love and romance and when it's all great. Basically, love is hard. And passion, the very word passion, implies suffering. We talk about the passion of Christ, that Jesus went to the cross. And actually, passion means sacrifice. Passion involves the gooey bits. It involves the romance. It involves the love. But as we see in the life of Jesus in such a stark way, it involves sacrifice. And the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus saw a bride and, and, you know, if that language puts you off and you're a boy, um, you know, don't worry about it. It's not about gender. It's about oneness. God is calling us to a relationship with him of oneness. And actually, in human relationships, there is no closer relationship than the, marriage, than the relationship between a, a man and a woman, between a husband and wife. You know, it's, it's a relationship of oneness. The Bible says the two become one flesh. And as far out as it seems, and as almost blasphemous if it, as it seems, if it went right through the Bible... God calls us to relationship of oneness with him. And he refers to himself as the bridegroom. And we read in Revelation of the wedding supper of the lamb. And Jesus went to the cross to give his life for his bride. He saw a bride that he was passionate for, but it wasn't just romance and gooey love. He was prepared to give his life for her. And as he went to the cross and as he endured all that suffering, you know, even the Romans got rid of crucifixion because even they came to the conclusion it was too barbaric. Jesus went through that for us in passion, in romance, but in sacrifice. He gave everything. Anyone can fall in love. That's the easy part. But when the rubber hits the road, what does passion for God look like in your life? When your mates take the mick out of you, when your colleagues at work um, basically speak ill of you just because you're a Christian, or when life gets hard and you're thinking, God, you know what, I'm not sure I'm really in a good mood with you. Why have you let this happen? Does it end there? Do you fall away? Or like Jesus, will you set your face like flint? Will you say, you know what, Jesus, I don't get it, but you're everything. So my love for you isn't just going to be emotive, nice, gooey feelings. I'm just going to serve you 
in the same way that you've served me. I'm going to give everything for you. I'm going to give my life for you. So this psalm, Psalm 42, which speaks a bit about this passion. Who wrote it? Well, the author was probably a Levite in exile, so away from his people. A Levite was basically someone who, who led worship in the temple. He was a worship leader, like, like Liam. And so he was oppressed for his faith. He has been questioned for his faith. And uh, basically, he would normally, around this time, it seems that this was probably a time when there would have been uh, some sort of pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem, to the temple for one of the festivals. And because he was in exile, he wasn't able to be a part of that. And so he's grieving this. He's like, oh, I want to be going up to the temple. I want to be involved in, in the festival. I want to be involved in the worship, and I can't. And he feels God has forgotten him. And he feels separate from God because of this separation from the temple and its worship. It's like he can't go to church. It's like he, he's not able to go to church. And he's like, Look, I'm separate from God. I'm not able to worship God because I can't get to church. And I'm stuck out here. All my mates are at APC at the church center worshiping. And I can't get there. I'm not able to get there. So he's, he's really upset and frustrated. Bambi, look. Picture of Bambi. So we've got that verse at the beginning of that psalm. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So this Levite, this worshipper, is away from the place of worship. And it's like he's thirsting for God. He wants to worship God. And it's, it's as if he is bought into and he has experienced for himself the reality of worship. When we sing songs, we're not just singing songs. We are, as the scripture says, entering his courts with thanks and his gates with praise. We're coming into the very presence of God through our worship. As scripture says in Psalm 22, it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we worship him, when we offer a sacrifice of praise, he inhabits that praise. And we even see in scripture some very dramatic times of worship where God comes with, in like a cloud of his presence and the priests are all strung out on the floor and they can't minister because they've been worshiping him and saying that he's good and praising him. And the glory presence of God, the tangible presence of God has come and just overwhelmed them in such a degree that they're just like, wow, God, you're amazing. And oh, what do I do? Where can I go from here? You're everything. You know, wow, if I was ever in any doubt before, now I'm not. You're amazing. And so, you know, this guy is thinking, oh, I'm, I'm separate from the, t- I'm not near the temple. You know, I'm separate from the worshipping people of God. I'm thirsty for the presence of God. You know, I'm thirsty for Eden. I'm thirsty for that walking with God in the cool of the day. God being with me up close and personal. That thing I tap into in the place of worship. I'm thirsty and I don't have it. C.S. Lewis speaks of an appetite for God. And actually, you know, this person is like, they're, they're, they're hungry for God. They want God. And then the psalmist says, when can I go and meet with God? I love that question because it's tapping into, in a sense, the heart of the human problem. You know, when you're exacerbated or, you know, if anything is going wrong, you know, something in you just wants to fix things. And actually the reality is that the only thing that's going to make everything okay and fix everything and make it all all right is the very presence of the one who is perfection, who is life, who is reconciliation, who is goodness, who is, who is everything. And in worship, we meet with him. We meet with Jesus. Jesus walks us. He walks among us. He's with us in the place of worship. So Psalmist is like, oh, I want to go and meet with God. You know, everything is difficult and I want to meet with him. I want to encounter the Lord again. And actually for them, they really believed that God was in the temple. You know, the presence of God was in the temple. 
It wasn't just like, oh, we're going to go to this place and we're going to worship for a bit. They believed that the actual presence of God was there and the holy of holies, that God, you know, the glory of God was resident in this place. They went to the temple. They are, wow, God is in this place. They really believed that. And the amazing thing for us is for the New Testament church, we don't have to go to a building anymore, a place where God is, because we've become the building. Scripture says, it says on that, on that slide, of, uh, a scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So actually you have become the temple. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to meet with God because he's come to you and has filled you. You've become the tabernacle of God. You've become the dwelling place of Jesus. And that's not just like a theology or a philosophy. It's a reality. And I think sometimes what we need is a light bulb moment. Like the woman with the alabaster jar, our eyes need to be open and we need to kind of somehow in some mystical sense, come to the realization that, oh, my life, God is in me. Ah! And actually, you know, when we come to that revelation, suddenly we're just undone by the reality that actually the living God, not a philosophy, not a concept, not someone you study in RE or in a theology degree, but the person of Jesus Christ has come and taken residence in your body, that you've become a temple of the Holy Spirit. When can you go and meet with God? The answer is, any time, because God lives in you. But as I've been saying, you know, when they were worshipping in the temple and the glory presence came, even though God lives in us, there are times uh, when that sense that God is around us can sort of be amplified and we become aware of the tangible manifest presence of God. And as it was for those worshipping in the temple, so it can be when we come to church. There can be times when we're worshipping in church collectively, or even when you're at home, maybe just with your door shut in your bedroom and you're worshipping away, where you become aware of the actual presence of God. It's not just faith that God's with you. You, be, you become aware of his presence. Perhaps, you know, there's, you, 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 your heart is kind of quickening or, or you're breathing fast or you've got a sense of heat in your hands. There are various physical manifestations sometimes that follow the manifest presence of God. You become aware of him. It's in that place sometimes you might have visions or, or prophetic words might come to you, but it's God is in the house. And when that happens, you think, wow, this is everything. You know, I don't need sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't need to kind of do that or do that or do that because God is everything. And actually, he is meeting all my needs. So I want to encourage us to honor the presence of God because it's when God is in the house. It's when God moves upon your life in tangible ways and you have those mountaintop experiences that actually enables you to lead the normal Christian life. Sometimes people go on about, like, oh, don't go on about experience and all that sort of stuff. We need experience. Biblically, we need encounters with God. But those encounters don't happen every day. But what they do do is they enable us to go through the grind of living as God's people in a fallen world. And actually, if you're going to do the things that God has called you to do, and if you're going to witness to people that are very anti-God, and if you're going to walk in God's calling on your life, you need the Damascus Road experience. You need the place, as Isaiah had in the temple, where you're undone. You need, like Moses, to see the burning bush and to receive that revelation of who he is. Like the woman with the alabaster jar, you need to be undone before him. Because in those moments, God downloads in you what is needful to do the things that he's called you to do. Even in times that are just plain boring, you know, in the mundane bits of life, as well as in the really, really hard bits. Those encounters with God that you can go back to. But I've just, again, on that slide, enter his gates with thanks, his courts with praise. And I just want to encourage us to be people of praise. There are times 
when actually life isn't a mountaintop experience. And maybe you're not aware of God's presence and you're thinking, oh, you know, God, are you even there? And like the psalmist in those times, when you feel distant, you have to do what he did. He speaks to himself. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And actually the psalmist was able to look back on the times in the temple where he was there with the other pilgrims, where the worship was hot, where it was just amazing. And he was able to look back on that. You know, it was a double-edged sword because it meant he longed for it. And he was like, oh no, I'm not there and I'm here and it's awful. But actually the memory of that served him well in terms of giving him hope for when he would be able to go up to Jerusalem and worship in the temple again. We need to remember the victories with God. Remember the moments he has come to us. Remember the promises of God, the things he said to you. And you hang on to those things in the difficult times. Again, it's the place of passion where it's not just like a romantic meal and everything's nice and fun and brilliant, but actually it's the place when life is hard and it seems a long time since you had you know, that romantic meal out, since you had that you know, time that was so amazing and it's hard. And in those times, you have to remember your victories. And actually, I've got a picture there on that slide of a dove above a Bible, which represents the word of God and the spirit of God. And Jesus really modeled for us how you live the Christian life. You know, he had, he had the, 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 the experiences of God. When he got baptized, it says the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And he heard the audible voice of God say, you are my son. And that was just an incredible experience for Jesus. But that experience, the fruit of that experience, was that he was in, in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by the devil. You might think, well, if, if that's the fruit of having an encounter with God, then maybe I'd prefer the boring life. But actually, we don't have a choice about that. You know, we will face difficult things. But in the desert place, we need to hold fast to God's word. God said, I'm his beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, God said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. God says he has good plans for me to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. God says that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. God says that he's going to do this. God says he's going to do that. And you remember the promises of God. And that is passion to walk that out when it's hard, when it's tough to remember the promises of God, to stand on the word of God and to say, God, I want, it, I want it to be like it was in the temple when the glory cloud came. But actually for want of that, for the next five minutes at least, I'm just going to stand on your word. I'm going to remember the promises of God and I'm, I'm going to speak to my soul. I'm going to say, keep going, keep going. God is for you. He's with you. Keep going. That's what passion looks like. It looks like keeping on going when it gets tough. As Anita Dobson saying, anyone can fall in love. That's the easy part. But actually going on with God when it gets hard, when you feel like you're separated from the temple in the presence of God and you're in exile and people are having a go at you, in that place will you remember. And remember as the psalmist did that you will see that place again. You will go up to the temple again. You will know that joy and that ecstasy of knowing and loving God. And the reality is that unlike the psalmist, God is with you right here and right now. If you've given your life to Jesus, you don't have to go to some building, but he's with you right now. He's with you here as we gather together. He's with you at home in your bedroom. He's with you at school. He's with you at work where it's difficult. He's with you, you know, with your relatives you struggle to get along with. Dot, 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 whatever it is, God is with you. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God gives us this passion, that God would open our eyes as he did the woman with the alabaster jar and that we would see him as he is. And that as we see him, we would know as she did, a tsunami of mercy, of grace, that we would see that he is the point and that we would love him like he loves us, 
not just doing the gooey bits, but actually as he went to the cross for us, we carry on with him even when it's blooming hard and that that is passion. Going on when it's boring, going on when we're getting persecuted, saying, Jesus, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to remember that you're good. I'm going to keep going. That is passion. That is exciting. It might not feel exciting, but that's rock and roll living. And actually, when God then does show up in such an amazing way, you could think, oh, thank goodness. You know, you, you quench my thirst. You fill me with good things. God, you're awesome. So let's pray. And then even after I've prayed, I think the worship group are going to come and lead us again uh, in two songs, perhaps. And as part of listening and worshiping, I want you to just be recognizing again, as I've already said, we're not just singing songs. We're connecting with the presence of Jesus. So don't worry what the person next to you is doing. Don't worry if you sing out of tune, if you've not got a decent voice, if you don't know the, you know, the songs. Just say, God, I believe that you are here. And actually, I'm going to use these songs to just become aware of your presence. You live in me. And Lord, I want, I want the light bulb to go on. I want you to give me passion for you. I want to recognize that you are here with me. I want you to set me apart for an exciting life where I keep going with you and I'm passionate for you in the good times and the bad. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to do that. Father, we thank you for your love for us and we thank you that you have made us in your image, that you've set eternity in the human heart. I thank you, Lord, for the good news that it's not about this time, that this isn't it. Lord, whatever's going on in life, whatever frustrations we have, even if we feel we've been dealt a bad hand and we look at others around us and think, oh, if only I had their situation. Lord, I thank you that it's not about this time. It's about eternity, where we are restored to that place of Eden, but even better, a new heaven and a new earth, where you reign supreme and sin is finally done away with. And Lord, even as we long for that time, we know that we can meet with you now as in heaven, that you come by your spirit and you live in us, that we've become temples of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that even in the rest of this service, as we worship and as we wait upon you, Lord, that we would have a light bulb moment, each one of us. You'd open our eyes to see you afresh. And Lord, you'd put in us fresh passion for you, fresh hunger for you and desire for you. And Lord, that you would put in us such a conviction of your passion, Lord, that even when life is really hard, we would choose to trust, choose to remember, and choose to go on with you. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.